Hey, glad you're here. Uh, I've got some things to share with you. In the last couple of weeks, we've been using these, uh, these little canvases, and, and I feel like the illustration's going pretty well, so I'm, I'm going to keep it going today, all right? Didn't know we would respond so well to this idea, but I think, I think it's working. I'm having some fun with it, so if, if nothing else, just humor me, okay? Uh, we are in a series right now entitled Simply Seven, Everything You Need to Know in Seven Words. Uh, here's kind of the basic gist, the heart and the hope behind the entire message. If you think about it, a lot of things in life just end up turning out to be way too complicated, right? They just can way too confusing. Maybe you feel like you're way over your head or that you need a degree or vocabulary that you don't have to fully understand what other people are talking about. But from toothpaste options to investment opportunities to healthcare plans, I don't know about you, but I just feel dumb sometimes. Things are just so complicated. Uh, and whether you realize it or not, the message of Christ can turn out to confuse people and be complicated as well. When we share certain things, when we start talking about a little science, a little Holy Spirit, a little young earth and old earth, some end time stuff, what you read online one time, what you, what you heard in college back in the day, and this message that is designed to draw people closer to God drives them away from God because it's just too complicated. There's just too much going on with it. They can't make sense of it. And I, I wonder, I was even thinking this past week, if that's why people in the church aren't flocking out and telling all their friends this message or why everybody in the community isn't running into the church to hear the message. It's just too confusing. Just don't get it. And so that's what we're trying to fix and remedy in and through this series. Uh, we're trying to be like Jesus and that we're trying to say everything there is to say about faith and life and God. We're trying to say it in a handful of words. That, that's how he said it all. Love God and love others. And so we're trying to say everything there is to say in the same way. In ancient Hebrew culture, the number seven was very significant. It represented wholeness and completion. And so we've chosen seven numbers uh, that we think say it all. They say everything about your life, the life of your friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors, classmates. But it also says it all about God and their love for them, their love for you. And so just these words, I think, encapsulate and say everything we need and want to say. They all are equally important and they all kind of build on each other. So if you've missed any of the messages, go back online, check them out. I want to make sure that you are uh, up to date and up to speed with what we've been talking about. But we're about halfway through this series, so I thought it'd be helpful to do a little midterm review. All right, back to college for a second. Here we go. Midterm review is not going to be a grade associated with this, but let's talk about uh, where we've been thus far. If you think about it, creation is like this blank canvas. Without God in the picture, it is void and empty. There's just, there's nothing there. The Bible calls this tohu vabohu. Everybody say tohu vabohu. Listen to you. Well done. And this canvas will continue to be filled with nothingness and, and chaos unless something stronger, something better comes in and, and creates something on it. What, it. It will remain void and hollow and empty forever. I don't care how big the bang is. I don't care how many millions of years you give the canvas. By itself, it will never change itself. It needs a creator to come in and create something. And that, that's what happened. So, so we have this canvas where, where someone came in and created something on it. This beautiful thing, we call it the canvas of creation. It is, goes all the way out to the furthest corners of the universe and all the way into the deepest corners of your heart. God made that. He created it. He painted it on this canvas that is called creation. But as we learned a couple of weeks ago, the problem is that humanity sins. What the Bible calls sin, we could call it short-sightedness, we could call it selfishness, we could call it the tendency to side with the serpent. But when we do these things that brings about this curse on creation, we contaminate the canvas. We cover it up with this darkness in a way. 
and try as we might to get rid of it, to fix it up. Right, last week we tried to scrub this thing to make sure that we could just fix our lives. It just doesn't work. I don't care how much money you give to nonprofits or, or if you help the homeless guy out or if you volunteer at your kid's school, if you're nice to your neighbor. I don't care what you do. Nothing that we do can fix the curse that is on the canvas. It is so deeply entrenched in there. And the more we try, the more we just mess it up. We make it even worse. We can't escape it. That brings us to another word in our series of captivity, right? Where we are now literally enslaved to this. This is a position that we are in, that we are powerless to do anything about. But God, oh, don't you love when the scripture does that? But God, but God in his great wisdom, God in his great grace, God in his great love comes as the creator of this canvas and he says, wait, 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 I'm not done with this yet. I mean, he could just throw it out. He probably should. It's a piece of trash now. But instead he says, you know what? I've got a plan for this. I'm going to redeem this word we looked at last week together and I'm going to pay a significant price to take this back into my own possession because I've got something good in store for this. It's called a covenant, a promise that God has made. So all that brings us to our fifth word in the series. How many of you uh, don't do very well with or around blood? Anybody else? I've known a couple people, only a handful in my life, most of, most of those pre-med majors in college, like you're a creep, why do you like blood so much? But most of us don't like it. Most of us don't enjoy the thought of it or the sight of it. From feeling a little squeamish to a little woozy, right? Blood does, it does a number on most of us. I came across a funny video this past week of a girl who played a prank on her boyfriend using fake blood. Uh, watch how this turned out. I don't know why I'm rushing for this. He's got to get back from the shop. He's probably thinking, oh, she ain't cut herself that much. I'm literally going to make it so bad. So bad. That's two tubes of blood. And when he comes in, I'm literally just going to be like... Babe, and I'm gonna spill it all over the floor. And he's gonna—it's <laughs> gonna be blood everywhere. <laughs> we bet the best with blood, Eva. This is gonna be so funny. He's gonna absolutely freak out. Babe, 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 please hurry, 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 hurry! Babe, 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 I can't stop it. Look, I've applied so much blood, it's just like I just can't do it. How I just don't know what to do. I just cut it on the how thing, and I just that? don't know how. It's just like. I've just cut it on the knife and I just... might have been a joke for her. It wasn't for that poor guy now, was it? But here's the thing when it comes to blood, right? It's, it's hard for us to escape the presence of blood. I mean, from the cuts and scrapes that we all get uh, to the nightly news that we all watch, blood is a big part of our world, is it not? Well, it's even a bigger part of the biblical world. I mean, it sounds weird, but blood flows throughout the entire storyline of Scripture. In fact, it's mentioned 460 times in the Bible. I mean, blood, blood is everywhere in that book. Starts back in the garden, Adam and Eve. It says that their nakedness and shame needs to be covered, and so God covers it with the skin of an animal. Continues in the story of the Exodus, right? The 10th plague in particular, where God has them shed blood and cover their doorposts with it so that death will pass over them. And we see a lot of blood in the Old Testament when it comes to these animal sacrifices that are taking place in the temple. It's such a strange world and such an odd thing. We don't know much about it. Let me try to explain to you what's happening there in the Old Testament. I want you to imagine for a second that you and I are standing in the middle of this huge courtyard. It's called the Court of Gentiles. This is in the temple 
back in the first century. And the, the crazy thing about this is this place, it would have been a zoo. There would have been hundreds of thousands of people all cramming into this one space. And there would have been hundreds and hundreds of merchants all trying to make a quick buck off of you. If you've ever walked through an airport in Mexico, you know exactly what that feels like. So people are always bugging you, wanting to sell you things or, or have you buy things. And then plus there'd be myrrh and cinnamon, saffron and frankincense. All those things would be burning all around the edge in these different canisters. There would be a huge grain offering, people piling up grain on one corner of it. And in the other corner, there'd be a full choir along with the full orchestra playing all of these psalms and praises. I mean, this setting, it would have felt like a, a Bieber concert, a Broncos game, and maybe like a worship service all mixed into one. Like, this is weird. What is happening right now? But the craziest part isn't so much all that's going on, but, but in these different plazas and all on these courtyards, there would have been, been hundreds of, of pens and crates that would have been containing animals, that would have, that would have been held, holding animals. Uh, it could have been doves or sheep or bulls or rams. And this wasn't a first century like pet adoption day. Uh, this was a first century like animal sacrifice day. And so what would happen is you would literally go around the plaza and you'd, you'd buy an animal depending on the depth of your sin or the depth of your pocketbook, and then you take it over to the priest, and he would sacrifice its life on the altar for your forgiveness. The priest would literally pray over the animal that you handed him, he'd pray over its head, he'd symbolically place your sin on top of the animal, and then he would take a knife and he would slit its throat from ear to ear, and blood would be everywhere. It had been a bloody mess. The blood would have been poured out on the altar, it had been collected in bowls, it would have been sprinkled on different symbolic objects. The flesh would have been burned. The skin would have been saved. I mean, it's just this weird, ugly, bloody mess. And, and I don't know about you, but it just sounds so strange to me. I mean, it just, it's just downright pagan almost. It's like ungodly. I wouldn't expect to read this stuff in the Bible. Like, why is our God, why is he like this? Is he some bloodthirsty beast that you have to appease? That's not the God of the New Testament. Like, did something change suddenly? I mean, why does he want all this blood? It reminds me of the movie Apocalypto. I'm not sure if you ever saw that. But the Mayans, ancient practice where they would just slit heads, just cut heads, and they would roll it down their temple because the gods demanded blood. And we better give them what they want or else they're going to get mad at us. Is that what's happening here? Like, I don't want a God like that. So Hebrews 9.22 gives us a little insight into what's going on. It says this, According to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. All right, so in this passage, we read that there's a little, that's something to do with purity. There's a little something to do with forgiveness and blood. They're all intermixed somehow and connected somehow. But I still have to ask, why blood, God? Why do that? That's just gross. Like, our God's like a zombie-loving God, right? I mean, does he love blood? Why did God decide that blood would accomplish purity or forgiveness? I mean, why not require, I don't know, why don't you just like spit or, or hair, right? Wherever there is uh, you know, the cutting of hair, there is the forgiveness of sin. That's, that's what I wish you would have said. And those of us who don't have much hair, we don't have that much sin, right? It's obvious that's what he would have meant by that. I mean, say spit, say hair, blood. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like the God who breathed life into this, this canvas. He would, he'd want to cover it with blood. It doesn't seem like the God who brings hope and who brings healing would rejoice in the fact that so much blood is being shed. And I firmly believe he's not pleased with any of this. This was not part of his plan. This is not his preference in the least. That's what Jesus said, Hebrews 10. 
For Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices, God, or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them. Nor were you pleased with them. You hear that? Death and dying and bloodshed and sacrifice, those were not part of God's plan. I'm gonna gonna depict it all with this one right here. All the blood that was being shed, all the stuff that was just everywhere, it's kind of leaning a little bit. That's okay, it's a bloody mess. It can be that way. But I mean, everything that, that happened, that, that, it wasn't God's idea. You do not want animal sacrifices. You don't rejoice in things losing their blood or shedding their blood. Okay, then, then why the blood? Then why have the people do it? Well, the word for forgiveness back in Hebrews 9, the one that we just read, said this, right? Uh, Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That word forgiveness actually meant more deliverance. It meant rescue. There's no rescue without the shedding of blood. There's no deliverance without the shedding of blood. It has in its mind this picture of someone who's locked up, who's chained up, and who's being held captive, one of our words, and they can't break free. And in order to break them free, someone has to pay a payment, and the payment is blood. And that payment must be paid, and when they make the payment, the person is set free. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to watch some prison break. Anybody else? I'm like, come on. Again, it's all about deliverance, being set free from something. So our freedom from sin, our freedom from this, it comes at a, at a big price. It comes at a hefty cost, and the cost is blood. In order to be set free from the slave master, you need to pay in blood. So God isn't the one demanding or requiring the blood. Sin is. God isn't the one who needs to be paid in blood so you can be set free. Sin is. God isn't the one who's pleased with all the blood or all the carnage or all the death. Sin is. The old, the old uh, song, the old hymn, sin had left a crimson stain. Not only had it left a crimson stain, sin loves the crimson stain. This is all sin wants. It wants to cover your life in blood. It wants to demand your death. That's what sin is asking for here. And Jesus said in John 8, those of us who sin, were slaves to sin. The only way to get out of this slavery, the only way to get out of this captivity, the only payment that sin will accept is your life or a life. It requires blood. A lot of blood needs to be shed. I wish I could say that sin and kind of messing around with God's canvas, I wish I could say it's just like something you casually date. And after a while, you're like, yeah, this isn't working out too much. Let's just go our own ways. You don't just casually date. It's like no strings attached, right, sin? There's always strings attached with sin. In fact, there's shackles attached with sin. And you cannot break free from this unless a lot of blood is shed. Unless sin gets what sin wants. It's only satisfied with blood. It only wants to drain you of your life. That's what God said, right? Eat this fruit and you will die. Do this and you will die. Not that I will kill you, but that you will have a new slave master over you who will demand your life. If you mess up the creation, if you take me out of the equation, if you make my word and my truth a smaller part of your equation, this is going to happen. And the only way free from this is the shedding of blood, a lot of blood. And so for years, God's people just slaughtered these animals. And they just covered the canvas with more and more blood. They wanted to give sin what it wanted. They wanted to give sin what it deserved. Okay, sin, set us free, please. We don't want to be in prison anymore. So here's blood, 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 like Zootopia, right? Blood, 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 blood. There's blood everywhere. But make no mistake about it, this is not what God wanted. This is not God's pleasure 
or what he had planned. And here's why it didn't work. Hebrews 10.4 tells us it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See, all that this blood did, all this animal sacrifice they did on this canvas, it just covered up the problem. It didn't really solve the problem. It just concealed what was really happening underneath and behind and, and, and you know, below the surface, if you will. The blood never really satisfied sin. Here's why. I would offer some blood to sin, like, please, I want to be free of you, so here's some blood, sin. And sin would say, great, you're going to walk away, you're going to sin again. You're going to go down the road a little bit more and you're going to stumble and sin again. And so you're going to keep being enslaved to me. You're making these payments of blood, but it's not actually setting you free. This was actually just a reminder of how enslaved they were to this mess. Let me see if I can't explain it another way. How many of you have heard of something called a uh, credit card? few of you. Okay, good. This is going to go, it'll go a long way. I take full advantage of these things, like bonus miles, all about it, okay? But, but credit cards, they can be very dangerous things. They're a form of debt. And someone can be making a payment on the debt they owe, but at the same time falling deeper and deeper into debt. You tracking? I always thought it was interesting and somewhat sad. We would teach some students at Pepperdine some kind of basic money management skills. And we would tell them, like, listen, you can have a credit card. You can be making the minimum monthly payment, and yet the interest rate on the card could be actually racking up more money than you're paying off every month. Well, they said I only have to pay $25 a month. That's true, but your interest rate is racking up $50 a month. And so you're making this minimum payment all the while the balance is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I think that same thing is happening in the Old Testament. I think the same thing is happening when it comes to our debt to sin. We're sacrificing an animal. We're giving sin the blood that it deserves, the blood that it wants, the blood that it needs. And we're like, okay, here's the minimum payment. Get off my back, sin. Like, I don't want to mess around with you anymore. Get off my back. And so we make the minimum payment. What's happening, though? We're unknowingly falling deeper and deeper into it. And so I think sin loved this. Keep paying the minimum. That's fine, because you'll never actually get out of debt then. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. The minimum payment of blood didn't change anybody's heart. The minimum payment of blood didn't change anybody's condition. The minimum payment of blood didn't change their allegiance to sin or their propensity to sin. The minimum payment of blood, it was insufficient to get us back to this place. It didn't free you. It didn't rescue you. The payment was, just wasn't big enough. And that brings us to our fifth word in this series, probably the most important word, the best word, the most beautiful word, Christ. Although we could spend time talking about so many different and equally incredible aspects and parts of Christ's life. In fact, I'm excited to let you know at the beginning of the year, we're going to do a verse by verse of one of the Gospels just to spend some time with Jesus at the beginning of the year. We'll take as long as we have to to walk through that story. But today I want to talk to you about, of all things, Christ's blood. His blood. The blood of Jesus is so powerful, it's so important, it's so wonderful for so many different reasons. Think about it with me, friends. The fact that Jesus even had blood, that should overwhelm us, that should amaze us. I was babysitting some kids one time and I cut my finger while we were playing. So I went inside to try to doctor it up a little bit and put a bandaid on it. And the two-year-old little girl that was part of the crew came in and she looked at me and looked at the blood and she said, you have blood too? You have blood too? Well, that same amazement should be how we look at Jesus. We should look at the Son of God and say, you have blood too? And the answer, the fact that the answer is a yes should just be mind-blowing. Deity deity took on the limitations and qualities and characteristics of humanity. The God who was outside of time and space entered into our space at a specific time. Here's the best way to say it. God had a bod. I mean, think about that. God, God himself. 
Hebrews says that God pitched his tent among us, which means that he moved right next door to us. He lived right here. He's not some some distant deity. He's not some aloof, far-off cosmic force. He is so close to you, so concerned about you, so connected to you, so committed to you that he moved in. He wanted to be so close that he took on your form. He took on our flesh and blood. You have blood too? But the most amazing thing about it isn't that he had blood, but it's what he's able to accomplish through his blood. It's not that he had blood running through his veins, though. We could spend all day long just praising him for that. The the beautiful thing is he was willing to shed his blood and what he was able to accomplish through the shedding of that blood. See, the scripture makes it clear the most amazing part of Christ's blood is its cleansing ability. Let me show you. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Read that last line with me. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. First Peter 1, 2. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. His spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Read that second part again. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We aren't talking about covering up our sin with blood. We aren't talking about concealing our sin with blood. We're talking about having our sin and this entire mess. We're talking about cleansing it, completely cleansing it. And that bucket did nothing. But we're talking about completely cleansing the canvas. Now it's going to come back because I couldn't find a paint that was literally Jesus blood paint. But you get the idea here. Normally, when you put blood all over this, it just made a bigger mess of it, but not Jesus' blood. When you pour his blood all over it, it cleanses it. It gets to the heart of the problem and the problem of our heart. This was a big old bloody mess before, and Jesus came and he cleaned it up through his blood, which sounds kind of odd to us because many of us know that when you get blood on something, it doesn't clean it up, does it? I mean, it stains it. Blood is, blood is so nasty in that way. Our youngest daughter's been struggling with some nosebleeds lately. And of course, they happen at the most inopportune moments, don't they? It's like when she's wearing her nice little white dress at church, like blood. Or when she's at you know, the carpet in her room, like blood. Like, ah. And I can tell you right there, I'm not like praising God for the cleansing ability of blood in those moments. I'm like, what? Is, what? This is a mess. It requires so much elbow grease to get it out. And if you ever had a nice shirt or a skirt right, stained with blood, you know. You like panic, tide stick, tide stick, 911, right? You gotta get this thing clean or else it's gonna ruin it forever. And so I can't say with absolute certainty what Jesus' blood would do to your shirt, but I can say with absolute certainty what it does to your sin. It cleanses it. It washes it away. I'm just gonna do it again because that was really fun. (laughs) It makes it clean. Everything that was on here, that bloody mess that was here before, it's gone. His blood somehow cleansed it all. Leviticus 17, 11 tells us why. It says, the life of a person is in their blood. So let's apply that to Jesus. The life of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the eternal nature of Jesus, the God-likeness of Jesus, all of that is where? It's in his blood. The life of a person is in their blood. And so when you are covered with this blood, you are like those things. You are covered with those things. 
You've heard the old saying before, you are what you eat. Well, you are what you're covered with. If you are covered in a curse, you are cursed. If you're covered in blood and death, you're dead. But if you're covered in Christ, let's just do it again, again and again and again. If you're covered in Christ, though, if you're covered in his cleansing blood, you're clean. You are what you're covered in. And so his blood, Jesus' blood, unlike the blood of animals, unlike the blood of, of, of sacrifices at the Old Testament, it, it cleanses the canvas. It doesn't just cover up the canvas or further contaminate the canvas. It, it literally cleanses the canvas, guys. That's why Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. That language was literally talking about a slave master who was owed something intense, and the slave master was paid in full. It is finished. What you want, what you need, what you deserve, here it is in full. Let the person go. Let the prisoner go. It is finished. Okay, now I'm not a doctor, and I don't even play one on TV. I wish I did. But I've heard that blood, our blood, literally throws, flows through our body for two different reasons. One is that the blood literally carries the cells to places where they can be cleansed. So blood cleanses us and our veins and our arteries and our capillaries and everything else. But blood also infuses those same things with life. Now, I love that. If it's not true, don't tell me otherwise. Just let me live in ignorance, okay? But think about that, church. Why would our blood, the very blood that we have day in and day out that we see when we get, when we get hurt and we see on TV all the time, why would that blood, why would it do those two things? Do you think God is trying to give us a reminder, a symbolic reminder of what his blood does for us? Listen, your blood cleanses you and infuses you with life. My blood, Jesus' blood, does the same thing in levels you couldn't even fully comprehend. See, the blood of Jesus was a blood this world had never seen before. The likes of that sin and Satan had never seen before. Jesus said, you want to be paid in blood? Then I'll pay you in my blood. My blood is perfect. My blood is holy. My blood is eternal. That will be enough to free the people forever. I guarantee it. And he paid it. He paid the blood on the cross. We're liberated, guys. We're liberated from this. This beautiful thing that once was, we can get back to it. How? Through the blood. I don't even know which way I'm pointing anymore, but just the blood. We're liberated. That's why I love what Jesus said in Matthew 26, the Last Supper. Remember these words? He took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to his disciples and his friends and he said, each of you, drink from this. This is my what? My blood which confirms the covenant, another one of our words, which confirms this new agreement, which confirms the promise, which shows that God is so serious about coming through and redeeming this. Drink it, it's my blood, he says later on in the verse. It is poured out for you as a sacrifice for sin. Sin makes a bloody mess of things, but Jesus cleans up the mess through his blood. Sin makes a bloody mess of things, but Jesus cleans up the mess through his blood. That's why, and we'll end with this, I'm going to ask the band to come on back up, um, why the most scandalous people, why the most sinful people, why the dirtiest people in the scripture, why they're so drawn to Jesus. I mean, think about that. The man who had no sin was like a magnet for the worst sinners there were. I mean, how, how does that even work? It's like, I'm so broken, you're perfect, I love you. That doesn't normally work, right? Why? Why would the sinners be so attracted to the sinless man? Because they knew they knew he could fix this. They knew deep in their heart and deep in their spirit, no matter how dark this was, no matter how ugly this had become, no matter how deep it went, Jesus could fix this. Jesus, Jesus could cleanse this. And I want you to believe that same thing today. 
Many of you are still living in this position right here. You think you're here, you're not. That's an ignorant way to live. You are a slave to something that's wrecking and ruining your life. And would you come to Jesus and would you let him pour on you his blood, a cleansing blood? The song says what? What can wash away my sin? Say it with me, church. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're gonna sing that song right now. And if you haven't ever been cleansed by the blood, would you come and find me right now down here? We'll talk about it. I won't pour scorching hot water on your head, but we'll pray that the Spirit will cleanse you in a beautiful way. If you wanna stand and sing, great. If not, sit, pray over this. Thank God for the blood or come and ask for it to cleanse you personally. Let's sing.